The following is a message by Dr. Brian D. Estelle from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for the time that is set apart in order to meditate on your holy scriptures. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you inspired the Apostle Paul to record uh, these uh, verities for us, for the upbuilding of our faith, for the protection of your sheep. We ask, O Lord, that you would grant that reverence and humility without which no one can understand your truth, especially your holy word, and especially these things as revealed in Galatians. Help us to that end. Grant your spirit, we do pray. Amen. If you will open your Bibles, we will turn in uh, our scriptures to Galatians chapter 3. I've been assigned to address you in this message on Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, but let me read for context uh, verses 1 through 9, and then uh, we will situate the argument of verses 6 through 9 uh, in Paul's argument at the beginning of chapter 3 as well as immediately following. This is God's word. Give careful attention to it. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you this spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because of what you have heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Thus the reading of God's inspired word. Larry Wywoody, the author of numerous highly acclaimed novels, argues in one of his books, and I quote, Nazism could not have advanced if Christianity had not been disassembled, if not deconstructed at every German seminary. Uh, by the higher critics. Why Woody, who was a renowned New York literati and was converted and now attends some of our Reformed churches, is concerned about the largest portion of the canon of Scripture, which, of course, is the Old Testament. I don't need to remind you of that. 77.2% to be exact. So recognizing this to be the case, uh, the importance of the Old Testament and the importance of the Old Testament and its significance for the Christian church, listen to a couple of quotes from other scholars. Number one, 
It would be no exaggeration to understand the hermeneutical problem of the Old Testament as the problem of Christian theology, and not just one problem among others, seeing that all other questions of theology are affected in one way or another by its resolution. No more fundamental question can be posed in all theology. Providing an answer for it defines the realm in which theology has to be done. Or another quote regarding the significance of the Old Testament for the church. Quote, no problem more urgently needs to be brought to a focus. It is the question which confronts every Christian in the church, whether he or she be a professional theologian, a pastor of a congregation, or a lay person. It is no exaggeration to say that on this question hangs the meaning of the Christian faith. Close quote. I submit to you that the Apostle Paul fully was in agreement with the principles in those quotes. I've been assigned here to talk about Galatians 3, 6-9, and we'll get to that in a moment. But first of all, let me state out front what Paul's thesis is, and then we'll look at the surrounding arguments. It's this, that the Judaizers with whom Paul was contending had botched, botched the interpretation of the Old Testament And this is of tremendous significance for the Apostle Paul. You can see his emotion here when he appeals uh, to the Galatians and says, Oh, you foolish Galatians! You can hear the emotion and his concern uh, for his new converts. Now this section falls within the second major division of the book of Galatians. The first division is from chapter 1, 11 through 221. And here Paul is primarily defending his apostolic authority against those gainsayers who would deny it. But it's in the second main section, chapter 3, 1 through 5, 12, where Paul makes a shift in talking about the content of the gospel of free grace. Now it's not that he was not talking about the content of the gospel of free grace previous to this. If you were here for Dr. Fesco's exposition at the end of chapter 2, you know that was the case. How did you gain salvation and entitlement to life? Not by works of the law, not by merit, something you could do, but rather by faith, and only by faith. But now he delves in more detail and marshals more arguments against the Judaizers in order to rescue his uh, his converts from the snares of false teachers. And in doing this, you can hear the apostle's personal engagement and his concern. And in this, I think it's a wonderful example for us as we see the pastoral craftsman at work for those with whom he has invested so much energy. But let's look at Paul's arguments previous to and following our passage, and I think that will help illumine why Paul appeals to the Old Testament in the passage uh, that we will be engaged in this morning. It's really quite simple to see Paul's argument in Galatians up to this point in these first verses before verse 6. Notice what he says. This is his first argument in this section. You receive the Holy Spirit. By merit? No. By doing something, whether it be circumcision or some other aspect of of the law? No, how did you receive uh, the Spirit? You received the Spirit by faith. 
And even before you were talking to these Judaizers, you received the greatest promise that you could have received, namely the gift and deposit of the Holy Spirit himself. Who has bewitched you? How could you be so foolish as to think that you could add anything, having received the promise of the Holy Spirit already? How could you listen to these false teachers when you've received this greatest promise? Not because of something you have done, not because of something you have added, but simply because you have received it by faith. Paul's argument is clear. And then skipping to the next set of arguments immediately following this passage, Paul launches into even more tight argumentation in verses 10 through 12, about which I have written extensively elsewhere in that much maligned book, Unjustifiably So, The Law is Not a Faith. Listen to Paul's argument in Galatians 3.10. It's in the form of an abbreviated syllogism, and that's not an accident. That's purposeful. In other words, it has one major premise, it's missing the minor premise, and then he skips right to the conclusion. It's like a husband and wife talking across the table. They don't have to be fully explanatory. They understand each other because they have a relationship and they fill in the gaps. Notice what Paul says. Cursed is everyone, verse 10, who does not observe and obey all things written in the book of the law. There's the major premise. And then he skips to the conclusion. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And the minor premise can be worked in like this. All who rely on the works of the law do not observe and obey all things written in the book of the law. It's clear Paul meant this syllogism to be understood in chapter 10, and the argument stands. And then in verses 11 and 12, he gives a full syllogism, and it goes like this. Major premise, 11b. The one who is righteous, by faith he shall live. And then the minor premise, 12a, the law is not a faith. And then the conclusion he gives up front in 11a, no one is justified. That is, no one receives life, no one receives entitlement to heaven by law. That's his conclusion. Now, I have yet to see this construal of Paul's argumentation rebutted in these few verses, but that is not our focus this morning. Our focus is on verses 6 to 9, and so we will turn there. But I think it's important to see Paul's surrounding arguments before we discuss the argument at hand in verses 6 to 9. Basically, he's saying, you receive the Spirit, argument number one. Two, you are justified by faith, not by works, in these tight syllogistic arguments in verses 10 through 12. And now he comes in with a punch, and sandwiched between these huge assertions in our passage, Paul argues the following. The Judaizers you are listening to actually misunderstand and misapply the Old Testament, and this is not without significance. Verses 6 to 9. There cannot be any doubt There can be no real doubt that Judaizers arguing for circumcision to be added to the requirement of being justified had been appealing to the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, obviously. So Paul goes right to where the Judaizers want to go, and he said, okay, you want to go there? Let's go there. 
And in this argumentation, he simply turns to the stellar example of the Old Testament faith, namely Abraham himself. And he holds that great example before them and says, now look at Abraham in verses 6 to 9. And he quotes two passages, Genesis 15, 6. Uh, Abraham believed in God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And of course, the best commentary on this section of Galatians is where? Romans 4. And then he cites Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And he says, this is the gospel preached beforehand in the Old Testament. If you want to go to the Old Testament, then let's go to the Old Testament. And he says, look at Abraham. The same essential substantive gospel was preached to Abraham in the Old Testament that I preached and explained to you. How can you be so bewitched, you foolish Galatians? Abraham and those Christians, if you will, beforehand believed in God and it was reckoned to them as righteousness. They believed in a Messiah to come. You Galatians believe in the Messiah who has come and therefore you are declared righteous because of faith, not because of something that you could add to this wonderful gospel which you receive as a gift. Paul recognized the essential question for the church and the significance of the Old Testament. How should the church in our day, how should the church in Paul's day, appropriate the significance of the Hebrew Scriptures? That's a huge question that entails involving 77% of the canonical Scriptures. And Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you listened to these false teachers. And this is dangerous. You can make a shipwreck of your faith. Paul coins a word here, or at least I haven't been able to find it in classical literature. He says, pro u angelizomai. Now all you Greek students know that u angelizomai occurs all over the New Testament, but not Pro-u-angelizomai, to preach the gospel in advance. This is the only place he uses it in the New Testament. And it's probably a word he coined himself. He essentially says, Abraham heard the preaching of the gospel beforehand. The same gospel I preached to you about the Messiah who has come and fulfilled all righteousness. And it's no wonder And no surprise that our Reformed churches use this text, Galatians 3, verses 8 and 9, as a proof text in the Westminster Confession of Faith section, chapter 7, section 6, that glorious statement, there are not two covenants of grace differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. God preached the gospel to Abraham Beforehand, the same gospel. Now you may have thought I was being too provocative when I said at the beginning of this message, Nazism could not have advanced if Christianity had not disassembled, if not been deconstructed at every German seminary. The person who's uh, writing that has in mind deconstruction of the Old Testament. But that is... Uh, the case. Indeed, in Germany, Fichte, a higher critic, influenced Alfred Rosenberg, 
If you know anything about the history of the Third Reich, he became the official philosopher of Nazism. The history is uh, traced by the poet Peter Virick. It goes like this. Listen, it's a long quote, but it's well worth reading. The famous Catholic refutation of Rosenberg, circa 1925, proves convincingly, convincingly that Christianity is inseparable from the Old Testament. The connection is umbilical and introduced not merely by Paul, but by Jesus Christ himself. Hitler has called the Old Testament the Bible of Satan. Rosenberg calls it a tale of pimps. He blames it in part for today's frightful Jewish overlordship in Germany. All this horrifies both Protestants and Catholics in Germany, especially his demand for the so-called Old Testament that it must be abolished officially. Even more Nazi educators of the young in those schools already set up follow his advice to replace instruction in the Old Testament by Nordic sagas from Wotan on. Mein Kampf and the 25 points of the official party platform demand positive Christianity. Rosenberg defines positive Christianity as Germanic, negative Christianity as Etruscan, Syrian, Jewish, African. The latter is non-Aryan, and the former is carried on with the spirit of Nordic paganism. How much Christianity remains in Rosenberg, the true Christian, after he throws out its love, its universalism, the whole Old Testament, and all the New Testament connected with Paul? Our conclusion is that Hitler's and Rosenberg's positive Christianity means Nordic paganism plus lip service to a false Jesus, close quote. So I submit to you what we see in our particular verses before us this morning is one of Paul's most crucial arguments for the gospel. You may not neglect the Old Testament without injuring your faith. It is part and parcel of the defense and proclamation of the gospel rightly understood. If the poet Virek and Waiwudi are correct, that the denial of the Old Testament was one link that led to the rise of Nazism and genocide, is it too far stretched to say that the neglect of the significance of the Old Testament for the church and the gospel pronounced therein beforehand to Abraham could lead, in Paul's mind, to spiritual genocide? Something even more horrific than what was left in the wake of the Holocaust of the 1940s? As I see it, this is a crucial point set before you today, and it could not be more timely. Beware of those who would wrongly construe the Old Testament scriptures. For the fact of the matter is that the gospel is there, preached beforehand. And Paul says that it indeed is announced beforehand for the saving health of mankind. This is nothing new. An argument could easily be made the ancient heresies of Marcionism, Ebionism, Gnosticism were doing essentially the same thing. But as we look down the corridors of history, you can note the same thing happening in our own time, as pointed out by biblical scholar Joseph Blinkensop. Quote, Schleiermarker at the beginning of the 19th century and Harnack at the beginning of the 20th argued that the link between the Christian revelation and the Old Testament is merely an accident 
of history as opposed to being of its essence, close quote. Even today, I could cite many examples for you of how people are monkeying with and toying with the right interpretation of the gospel preached beforehand in the Old Testament. For Paul, this is inconceivable and dangerous for their souls. Their spiritual health, that is the Galatians, and their salvation depends upon rightly understanding the Hebrew scriptures. I set this all before you, and it may seem a little tangentious, being that I'm an Old Testament scholar, to remind you, students, when you wrestle with the languages of the Old Testament, when you attempt to plumb the depths of obscure practices and rituals described about cultures thousands of years ago, very different than our own, remember, fix your mind on this. These are about the gospel preached beforehand. And therefore, they deserve your utmost attention and discipline and rigorous attention and engagement. Give all your energy to these disciplines and to these studies. And in so doing, you will provide for yourselves and for those under your charge in the days to come. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.